You're listening to CSN International, your home for the latest praise and worship music and solid Bible teaching. In just a moment, we're going to join a study from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. But first, I'd like to invite you to come out and join us in person. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit theriverchristianfellowship.com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. We're glad you're tuned in and hope you enjoy today's verse-by-verse study recorded live during one of our Wednesday or Sunday services. Now let's join the teaching already underway. We actually we met a long time before we actually talked to each other. We first, uh, she was new to the town I lived in. We only lived in the same town for about a year. And I worked in a store called Pomida. If you haven't been into the upper Midwest, you've probably never heard of that. It's like a Walmart for small towns. I don't even think they exist anymore. I think Shopco bought them out. But I worked at one of those and I was in the, the checkout. I was the cashier. And she came through, my wife Adrian came through with her mom. And I was checking out their goods and other things, if you know what I mean. Oh, <laughs> Now, she, I'd never seen her before. That was the first time I saw her, and I remember that. And we didn't actually talk for quite a few months after that. And we still, we both remember that. And I think that's kind of weird that we remember the first time we saw each other, even though nothing came from it from that point till a few months later. But then... Uh, yeah, we started dating when I was a senior in high school, and then I graduated and moved away. We did long-distance relationship for, yeah, a couple years, for a couple years, two years. And on the day Adrian graduated from high school is the day I proposed to her, and we also moved in together that day. We weren't Christians back then. And uh, then we got married later that summer, and I was 20 and she was 18, so we got married at a young age. And we got married in August 2006. And Jesus saved us about, I think, 2012, about three years ago. And those first years of our marriage were, we had some good times, and we had some struggle, some bad times. And we actually had times that were very bad, where just before Jesus saved us, we became Christians, we were about to divorce. And Adrian had left me, and we were going to divorce, and both of us had our faults. And Jesus completely saved our marriage, brought us back together, and healed it. And three years later, you know, I can honestly say I love her now more than I ever have, and she could say that about me, right? Yeah, it put you on the spot. Uh, and that's, that's all been a work of Jesus, but it's been work. You know, we think sometimes getting married, that the wedding day is a lot of work, and it is. We actually didn't do a lot of the planning because we were just dumb kids. Adrian's mom did most of it. But we, we put a lot of effort into the wedding day, but then there's the whole marriage after that, it goes on a long, long time. And it can be very difficult and it can be very rejoiceful at times. And as we've been going through Romans the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about this idea of justification. And every week I've compared it to, it's kind of like a wedding where it's, it doesn't change anything internally. It's an outward change where legally you're declared innocent before God because we're all sinners and we're all guilty of sin by nature and choice. And Jesus has paid the price for our sin, but we have to accept that payment. And when we do, God declares us righteous. He declares us justified, innocent, 
clean in His eyes, even though we're not. And again, that's a lot like a marriage. It's that one day, it's a, sort of an instantaneous thing, and from that day that you're justified, you're forgiven, past, present, and future, all your sins are paid for, and that's justification. But now we're going to move on into what happens after that. Because Romans is Paul's essay on salvation, we would say. And he's talked about justification and how we're saved by grace, entirely by the work of Jesus. Because Jesus paid the price for our sins, and so he made the payment for our sins that we could never pay. But it's not just a wedding day in a marriage. You also have the entire marriage. So what happens with that? That's what we call sanctification. Theologically, that word's not, is it in the Bible? I don't know. But that's what it's called. And you would define that or explain that as the idea that you become more and more like Jesus and more holier and holier with the help of God, obviously with the help of the Holy Spirit, as you continue in your relationship with Him. And so justification is in a lot of ways like the wedding day. Sanctification is like the marriage. It happens over time. And the wedding day is kind of over and done. Sanctification continue, <laughs> continues on and on. Um, okay, and you can't just say that, okay, we had the wedding, and now our marriage is set forever. Okay, because there's work involved after that. You have to work on the marriage. It takes work. And if your marriage is at its strongest point on your wedding day, then you probably weren't doing your marriage right. Okay, the wedding day is really it's a legal thing where you said, okay, now you're united, and it doesn't mean anything internally, but it should lead to greater and greater love if you do a few things. Like if you listen to what your spouse asks of you, if you put their needs first, if you uh, say that my life is now to serve you ahead of serving my own needs. And with our marriage, it's not the first day that's most important. Our wedding is not the most important day of our marriage but it's the last day that's most important. What's the last day of your marriage going to be? Is it going to be divorce? Is it going to be one of you dying after years and years and years of love and growing together? And it's that last day that we have in mind. And sanctification, this isn't a sermon on marriage. This is an illustration on sanctification. Because it's a lifelong relationship. It's something where just like in a marriage, you put your spouse's needs first and serve your spouse, in our sanctification, after we've accepted Jesus' payment for our sins, then we live a life of putting Jesus first, and we serve Jesus, and we grow in relationship with Him. So justification is like the wedding. Sanctification is like the entire marriage. Now we ended last week in Romans, at the end of chapter 5, where Paul is, sorry, he sends, ends his section on justification with an amazing statement. So let me recap that real quick before we jump into seeing about sanctification in chapter 6. So Romans 5, verses 20 and 21, is Paul's ending statement on justification. This is, again, justification being declared innocent by God, even though you're not. And it says in Romans 5, 20, the law entered that the offense might abound. So he's talking about God's laws. Do this, don't do that. And by those coming, by God telling us His laws, we know in greater detail how much we're sinning. And the more about God's laws you know, the more you're aware of your sin. That's what He means, the offense might abound. But then He says, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, 
even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And what he's saying is that the more we sin, the more we're forgiven. The more sin there is, the more grace God has. And that's an amazing statement. I mean, there's the uh, account in Luke where there's a woman who said, you're, you're a sinner. And the Pharisees said to Jesus, why are you even letting this woman touch you? She's a sinner. And Jesus said, the more you're forgiven, the more you love. And this is why Christianity is different than anything else. Because we're forgiven by grace, by God's unmerited favor in our lives. And it doesn't say that the more you sin, the more you have to make up to God. It says the more you sin, the more grace there is. And that's amazing. But there's a problem that might come from that, which is what Paul addresses in Romans chapter 6. And the problem is actually a problem we see with Christianity in America today. It's if God forgives us of all of our sins entirely on the work of Jesus and your sins are forgiven by believing in Jesus, then why should we stop sinning as Christians? And what's the point of not continuing in sin if all of our sins are forgiven by God no matter what we do? And this is, again, a problem in our society today. We would call this nominal Christianity, someone who's a Christian in name only. And they believe in God but don't really live a life. So it's like they've had the wedding with God, but they're not living out the marriage. They said, I had the wedding, so now I'm set. Hey, see you in heaven. Well, that's not what the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about the wedding, justification, and then the marriage, sanctification. And so, again, the problem here is, doesn't salvation by grace give us a license to sin? Why, what motivation do we have as Christians not to sin if everything is forgiven by grace? And that's the big idea that we're going to look at tonight, is how Paul, through the Holy Spirit, Brings up this idea of sanctification, becoming more and more holy through our life, learning about Jesus and following Him, and putting an end to sin, putting our sin to death. And not that we'll be perfect, but it, he's basically, again, dealing with this idea of why should we stop seeing as Christians if all of our sins are forgiven? So start in Romans chapter 6 to look at that problem. And let's read verses 1 and 2, because here he puts out the problem. And then he says the answer, and then we'll kind of unpack that. In Romans 6.1, here's he brings up the problem. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And again, this is what a lot of people think. Why can't we just keep sinning? Because we're going to be forgiven. God's going to have grace. He says, verse 2, certainly not. It's the most intense no that you could write in Greek. Certainly not. He says, we should not continue in sin that grace may abound. And I find it interesting about where he goes. He says, How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And what he's saying is not, Stop sinning! He doesn't say, Try harder! He says, If we've died to sin, how can we continue to sin? So Paul doesn't tell us through the Holy Spirit to work on our activity. He says, Look at your identity in Jesus. And that's what motivates you to put an end to sin, to work on your sanctification. And that's the answer. It's because we've been given a new self, we must put our sin to death. And let's unpack this idea now tonight in uh, verses 3 through 14 of chapter 6 in Romans. And what does it mean that we have a new self? How does that help us put our sin to death? How does that motivate us 
to stop sinning, even though all of our sins are forgiven. Why should we not just take advantage of that? So the first thing we'll see is that our old self died with Christ. Let's look at that first. So what does that mean, that our old self has died with Christ? And to preface this, it's very helpful as Christians to understand that you kind of have two natures. And we looked at this last week talking about at, being on Team Adam or Team Jesus. And we have this natural na- sin nature as part of inheriting Adam's sin. We're not going to go into all that again. But we have two natures when we're Christians. First, we have the nature that we're born with. The nature we receive by physical birth. And that's your old self. That's who you're born as. That's your sin nature. It's the sins you've committed. It's the sins you will commit. But it's the nature inside you as well that makes you want to sin. That's what you receive as a result of your physical birth. When you're born as a baby, that's the self you're born into. So think about if you're a Christian, who is your old self? Who were you before you knew Jesus? Who would you be today if you never knew Jesus? Like I shared at the beginning, I know I'd be divorced. Hey, I was, before Jesus, arrogant. I mean, I still am. I still struggle with all these things. I'm not saying I'm over them, but God's working on me. Arrogant, lazy, perverted, hypocritical, judgmental. Hey, all these things. Uh, again, still struggle with, but I know who I was before Jesus, and I'm very thankful none of you know that. But I know what my, who I was before Jesus. And think about that as you're a Christian. That'll tell you what your old nature is like. What did you desire before you knew Jesus? What things did you crave? What things did you do without feeling bad about? That's your natural self. And I've been attacked recently. And sometimes this, does anyone get these thoughts that just pop in your head? And you're like, where'd that come from? And lately I've been, been getting this thought. Why would you believe in all this stuff? It's dumb. Because I was an atheist most of my life until three years ago, and I called all Christianity and Jesus, all this was dumb. And once in a while that thought pops into my mind, why would I even believe in this? And at first I was like, whoa, where'd that come from? But it's actually very assuring to me, because my old self would not believe in this. My old self would say it's dumb, and the fact, I can't really help myself. That's who I am now in Christ, because He saved me, because He's redeemed me, and He's given me a new nature. But you have your old self, your sinful nature that you're born with. Now when you become a Christian, when you accept Jesus' payment for your sins, you receive a new self. That's the result of your spiritual birth. You were born spiritually dead, but physically alive. And when we accept Jesus' payment for our sins, we become to spiritual life. That's what it means to be born again. And that's why Jesus says you cannot see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. So you cannot be a Christian unless you're born again spiritually. That's what Jesus says. And so again, back to the problem of why should we, we should just be able to sin because God's going to forgive it. Not if you've received a new nature. Not if you've been born spiritually. That's not going to be your motive. So when you're born again spiritually, you're connected with God. You're born physically separated from God. Spiritually, no, spiritually separated, I should say. And by accepting Jesus' payment for your sins, He connects you with God. I, the way I like to conceptualize this is to think of an electronic device such as an iPad, like right here. Now the iPad is alive, so to speak. I mean, it's working. The screen's on. It's showing its stuff. And it'll continue to exist until it runs out of batteries, until the, it gets to zero percent. And so I can turn down the brightness on it. 
I can close some of the apps and hopefully the battery will last longer. But eventually this iPad's going to die unless it connects in with its power source. And that's when we're born spiritually disconnected from God, we're physically alive but spiritually dead. And there's nothing we can do that can stop that death from happening, both physically and spiritually, unless we're connected in with the power source, unless we're connected in with the source of all power, God, and the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. So to, to understand all this sanctification, putting our sin to death, it's very important to, to have this in your head that we have a physical nature we're born with, but we're born spiritually dead, and we don't become spiritually alive until we accept Jesus' payment for sin. And that's our new self. Okay, so knowing that, let's dig in here in uh, Romans chapter 6. So what's it mean that our old self is dead? That physical part we were born with is dead. So verse, first verses 3 and 4 is when we're baptized, we've declared our old self dead. Romans 6 verses 3 and 4. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we shall walk in newness of life. So when you were baptized, if you've been baptized, part of the symbolism in, the, in that is saying, when you go under the water, my old self is dead. I'm declaring who I used to be, before Jesus, I'm saying that part of me is dead. I'm not going to live that way anymore. I'm putting that person to death. That's what going under the water symbolizes. Just as Jesus died physically on the cross and went into the tomb and was dead for three days in the earth, that's what going under the water symbolizes. And that's why, you know, at the river, we believe in adult baptism because a baby can't make the choice of putting their old self to death. And we believe in immersion because... Going underneath, you know, that means something symbolically. It's saying you're putting your old self to death. And that's what our baptism represents. What else does it mean that our old self is dead? Number three, your old self was crucified with Jesus. Verse six. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. It says our old self, the person we used to be, not only you're saying is dead with your baptism, it's been crucified with Jesus. Okay, the person who used to be that wanted to sin is dead. That person's crucified with Jesus. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, it echoes this, kind of explains it a little more. It says, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. It's saying you're already dead. You're dead in your trespasses, in your sins. You're already dead. So why not put that to death? Why not declare it dead and accept what Jesus has done? It continues. He has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. So we're alive together with Jesus. We'll get more into that in a little bit. But all the things that were against us, the handwriting of requirements that were against us, have been forgiven by Jesus because He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it on the cross. So when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, another thing we're saying with that is who we used to be, 
we're nailing that to the cross with Jesus. All of our sins and trespasses are also being put to death there with him. We're identifying with Jesus' death. So if you're a Christian, that means your old self is dead. By being baptized, you're saying, I'm putting that to death. By saying, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus' payment on the cross. It's nailed to the cross with Jesus. Your old self is dead. The part of you that wanted to sin and be rebellious is dead. But the struggle is that it wants to come back. That old self is always trying to bring itself back into your life. And we struggle against that. Like I said earlier, I mean, my old self was very judgmental. And still, that always wants to come up. And I don't always defeat that. So a lot of times I judge people and make terrible assumptions about people still today because our old self is trying to push its way back. I used to be very arrogant and I would be you know, pretty much a loser with my life and still think I was better than everybody. And still I struggle with that. That old self wants to come back where I think I'm better than people because of this or this. But that's the struggle as Christians. Yeah, we put our old self to death. We've put our old nature to death. But that old nature is always trying to come back. And that's why it's, a, it's like a marriage. Sanctification is not a one-time thing and you're done and God says, all right, I'll see you in heaven. And this is an amazing blessing that God wants to work on us in this life as well. And He partners with us to help us put those things to death, to become more like His Son Jesus and to be more obedient through the Holy Spirit. And so it's a constant struggle of putting that old self to death, remembering who I used to be when I was baptized is dead. Who I used to be is nailed to the cross with Jesus. So I don't want to take advantage of grace anymore. Hey, because of those things, number four, your old self has been united with Jesus' death. Uh, beginning of verse five. So if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, we've been united together. We identify with Jesus' death. We're saying because Jesus died on the cross, I'm dying to my old self as well. Pick up my cross and die daily. And this phrase united together is kind of amazing. I looked into this in, in the Greek, and this phrase only comes up one time in the New Testament. And it's really a gardening term for when you have two plants that are planted close to each other but separately, and eventually they grow up and unite into one plant, and they intertwine with each other and become as one thing. Like, wow, that's an amazing picture of what happens when we unite with Jesus in His death. And there's a Bio, biology term that for this is called inosculation. Anyone heard of inosculation? Yeah, very good. I'm going to learn something. Yeah. Inosculation. This is when two trees are, they grow closely together, but they're separate. So they start out as two trees. But eventually, you know, the, sometimes the trees will start to bend in towards each other and the bark will start to touch. And when the bark touches on two trees, and you have that hard surface rubbing against it, and then you have the wind coming and making all that friction with the hard outer layer, it eventually wears that away, and the bark gets worn away. And then here's biology term, the cambium, that's the soft inner part of a tree. When the bark is all worn away, the cambiums touch. And when they do, the trees end up growing together. And you can look this up on the internet. They have, it'll be two trees, and they... They bend in and they become one tree and then they grow together as one tree. And they're not two separate trees anymore. At the bottom they are. But from that point on they continue to grow together as one tree. Yeah, this, is, this is awesome. 
because we have, we're separated from God physically or spiritually, spiritually separated from God, like two trees. But we bend in. God really bends in towards us. And we have that hard outer layer of our heart. We have a heart of stone, the Bible says. Hey, but when God presses in against us and the wind is creating that friction and the wind is the Holy Spirit, biblically speaking, Holy Spirit is wind is a lot of times compared to that. And the wind is pushing all that hardness and that hardness gets scraped away. And then your heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh and your heart unites with God's heart. And then you grow together as one thing. And that's your sanctification. Your justification is the act of merging. And then the rest of your life, you grow together as one thing with God. That's amazing. So when we've united ourselves with Jesus' death, saying our old self is dead, think of that. It's like the the trees that are, we're now growing together because our outer layer has been exposed. And all of our shame is exposed. All of our sin is exposed. But that doesn't stop Jesus from uniting with us. That's what he desires. He wants that bark to get scraped away. So therefore, the death of your old self, because you've been united with Jesus in his death, means that your sin has died as well. Verse 7. For he who has died has been freed from sin. If that old part of us is dead... We've been freed from sin. Because you can't sin when you're dead, right? If our old nature is dead, that old nature doesn't want to sin anymore. And you're saved by grace. Entirely the work of Jesus because he had, God had mercy on us and sent his son to pay for our sins. And when you accept that, and you're united with Jesus in his death, then your old self is dead. Those desires are dead. And that's why Paul, again, points to who you are in Christ. He doesn't yell at you to do this, do that. He tells you, remember who you are. Remember, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? If we're saying our old self is dead, how can we continue to want to sin when we remember who we are and that we've been united with Jesus' death? And Jesus' death defeated your old self. Verse 9, the first part of verse 10. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. Hey, Jesus' death on the cross in our place to take away our sins, that death was once and for all. It paid for all sins. paid for the penalty of all sins. And when you say, I'm following you, Jesus, I give you my life, my old life I'm putting to death, it's one time. Hey, it's not, you know, like a marriage again. It's not you get married, fail, get married again, fail, get married again, fail. It's you're married once. Yeah, you might fail, but you still have that relationship in a you know perfect environment without divorce. But you still have that relationship because it's one time. Jesus died once. Your old self died once. If it truly died, and that gets into something different. But if you've truly put your old self to death, You may still fail, but you'll never lose your salvation because you never lose that relationship as a child of God. So the conclusion of all this about our old self being dead is in first part of verse 11 where it says, Likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. So how can we continue to sin if we've said we're dead to it? 
Okay, that's where Paul goes about this idea of let's just sin because it's all forgiven anyway. Our old self is dead. The part that wanted to sin is dead. And again, it's going to struggle. It's going to want to come back. But if you remember who you are about that, that's what we look to. Remember who Jesus is. Remember that he's given you the Holy Spirit and your old self is dead. And again, like I think marriage is a good picture of this. I'm going back to marriage. So when I got married to Adrian, or when you get married to your spouse, in a way what you're doing is you're declaring your singleness to be dead. And you're saying, my old life as a single person is now dead because I have a new relationship. So however you lived when you were single, you're saying, I'm not going to do that. Whether it's being a disgusting slob like me, right? Like a lot of guys, a lot of single guys. For it's being, uh, you know, sleeping around or, you know, just serving only yourself. All those things you're saying, I'm putting that life behind me because I'm married now. That life is dead. And can you be married and not... Or how should I put this? Can, can you be married and still continue to live like you're single? Yes, you can. But that's not a healthy marriage. That's not a marriage that brings any benefit. Hey, you can be married and still live selfishly for yourself. You can be married and sleep around. You can be married and be a slob and think only about yourself. But that's not the intention. And do we stumble in our marriage and do we fail sometimes and do we disappoint our spouse? Yes, we do. But because we've said our single life is over and now we have that married life, that's what it is to put our old life to death. Hey, we're saying we're not living that way anymore. That old part is gone. Now I'm going to live in this new relationship, being united with God and having the Holy Spirit living within me. Can you say then that you're in a relationship with Jesus and you're working on your sanctification and letting God work on you if you never do any of the things he says, if you never put him first in your life? I know sometimes you may struggle with that, but I think biblically, if that never happens, I don't know if you have that relationship with Jesus. And that's where we've got to inspect ourselves. Are there sins that we're not wanting to give up? you really got to look at who you are. Hey, have you really put that old life to death? Because it's not too late. Again, this is rooted in our identity, not in our activity. He's not telling you, stop sinning. Try harder. Do better. And the big, big idea is, how can you keep on wanting to live in sin if all this is true? If your old self is dead, how can you want to continue in sin? Because you're a new nature. So let's look at that quickly. What's it mean to have new life now? Our old life is dead. Now we've been raised in newness of life with Christ. First of all, that means we live according to our new life. So verse 4, the second part of verse 4, says, Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Because when Jesus died on the cross and resurrected on the third day, He had a new body. He had a glorified body. And as He walked in His new life, so should we. When we've put our old self to death, and now we have a new life, we walk in that new life. Not in our old way, but in the new way. And secondly, here's the other half of baptism. We had those verses about baptism, verse 4 and 5, where we talked about going under the water says your old self is dying. Coming out of the water says you're a new person now. Just as Jesus had a new body coming out of the grave, we're a new person as we come out of the water. That's what we're saying with that when we come, come out of the water. 
In verse 8, we see that as part of your, your new life, you have belief. Okay, verse 8 says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Okay, so now we have the idea of faith here. Belief. And your old self doesn't want to do that. And that was, my old self didn't want to believe in things. Your old self wants to really only believe in yourself. And put yourself as the top position of authority in your life. And when you walk in newness of life, you believe you have faith. And I think my wife, Adrian is a good way to put this. So we grew up a little differently. Yeah, I grew up, you know, kind of Christian, kind of, you know, kind of not, and then turned away from it. Adrian grew up in a very Christian, Christian house. And I guess what would have said at the time she was living that new life, but now realizes she wasn't. She was continuing to walk in her old life, but thinking it was new. And I asked her, what are some differences between then and now versus thinking that you have a new life when you don't versus actually having it? And I thought it was very enlightening. She said, now she puts her faith in what Jesus did. And earlier, when she was kind of fooling herself, was putting her faith in what she did. Hey, when you walk in newness of life, you're putting your faith in Jesus, not in yourself. And a lot of times... We want to put our faith in ourselves, But that's not the object of our faith. The object of our faith is Jesus. And she says now, when she knows she sinned, she feels godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And so she wants to turn from it and please God. Where before, she said it was world, worldly sorrow, just feeling bad about it, like I shouldn't have done that. Not that there's any you know, repentance involved in that. And she said... Now, I think this is probably the biggest thing. Now she sees her faith, Christianity, as being about Jesus. And before, she thought it was about herself. And she would talk about going into the Bible and saying, what does this say about me? How does the Bible explain my life? And yes, it can, but the focus of the Bible is Jesus. And I, I thought, again, very interesting to see the difference between thinking you have a new life versus actually doing it. Okay, versus identifying in Jesus' death, putting your old self to death, letting your old self be crucified with Jesus. There's, there's a bit of a difference there. And your new life believes in Jesus. Your old life believes in yourself. So then in verse 10, it says that you live your new life to God. For the death that He died, yeah, for the death that He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life that He lives, He lives to God. So now that you've put your old self to death, your new life, you don't live for yourself anymore. You live for God. And this is a huge difference. Your purpose and goal and the top thing, the priority in your life is completely changed. Your old life, your old self wants to live for you. Your old self wants to do what you want to do. That's why your old self wants to sin and doesn't really care about who it hurts all that much. Your new life lives for God and He's the authority in your life. And you do what He says, not because you have to, but just like in a loving marriage, it's because you want to please Him just because He loves you and you love Him. And this goes against everything that our culture teaches. And from a very young age, we're told in these times especially, you know, follow your dreams. Be happy. The goal in life is to be happy no matter the cost. But that way of life does not work. It's dangerous. It's a dangerous way to live like that. Because living for yourself, living for your own happiness, means that you leave your family when your family doesn't make you happy anymore. 
And living for yourself means that you abort your baby because you don't want that responsibility. Living for yourself means you abuse drugs because it makes you feel happy. It doesn't matter who it hurts. Living for yourself means you buy and buy and buy things trying to find something that's going to fulfill you. But then the other problem with this, I mean, that is a dangerous way to live, just searching for your own happiness, living for yourself, so to speak. But then the other problem, why this is doubly dangerous, is our culture tells you that, but then our culture is designed to keep you from ever being happy. Because once you're happy, you don't buy things, right? And once you're happy, you don't seek out new experiences. And our culture is based on that, wanting you to pursue happiness, but never telling you you actually are happy. And it's a dangerous way to live. And if you feel that way, like I am never going to be happy with the way things are. Stop living for yourself and live for God. Put that self to death. Because that self is not going to be happy. There's nothing that will satisfy that. We'll get into this next week, that we're slaves to sin. That person will never be happy. So the answer is Jesus. Because when you've put yourself to death and you live for Him and walk in newness of life, then your happiness is found in Him. Your happiness isn't found in your family or your kids or your possessions, although those things make you happy. Your happiness comes from Jesus. It doesn't mean you're always smiley, happy-go-lucky Christian guy, but He is the source of your identity and all that you are. And your, and your new life is because of Jesus. So then you, your new life means that you have true life. The second part of verse 11 says, Reckon yourselves to be alive to God. We're kind of taking those two parts together. Reckon yourselves to be alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. And your new life means you have true life. And your old life, like, like I just said, you're, you're hopping from thing to thing, hoping you're going to find fulfillment in religious ways by being a good person and following these rules and these traditions. Or non-religious ways, like trying to find new experiences and buy things. You're going to keep searching for all those things only for your final result to be an eternity in hell. And people don't like hearing that, but that's where you end up. If you want to be separated from God in this life, why would you want to be connected with Him in the next one? Okay, so all that struggling, all that trying is going to lead nowhere to no life. But new, new life united with God through Jesus gives you life in this life and in the next. So like I said, the amazing blessing about sanctification, about growing holier and holier and becoming more and more like Jesus is that God wants that from you. He wants to have a relationship with you and He wants to help you in this life and give you eternal life. It's not God says you're saved and you know, I'll see you when you die. It's an entire life. It's an entire lifestyle commitment. And so now that we know what it means to have a new self, that's how we can put sin to death. So this is the final point. We've put our old self to death. We walk in the newness of our life. And then out of your new self, you can present yourself to God as righteous because you are. Because of what Jesus has done, your sin has been washed away in God's sight. And all the sins you continue to do are washed away. Because again, even though you struggle, that Jesus died once and for all, for all your sins. And because you are righteous in God's eyes, you can present yourself as righteous because you have a new life. 
But how do we do that? First of all, don't let sin reign in your body. That's verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. Again, the big problem here is what motivation do we have to stop sinning if all our sins are forgiven anyways? And he's told you, Paul, through the Holy Spirit, has told you, you have your old life is dead, you have new life, and now don't let sin reign in your body. This is something you cannot do with your old self because in your old self, your sin is in charge. Sin does reign in your old self. But in your new self, the Holy Spirit reigns. And the Holy Spirit is what's guiding your life. And you, we don't have to obey sin because the Holy Spirit is in charge. Although, sin's going to want us to obey, and sometimes we will, and we'll still struggle. But we don't have to. We have a new life, a new identity. And a lot of times how this happens is that we treat sin like it's a little pet, like it's a little kitty cat, not like a ferocious tiger. And we think we can tame it. We think we can get our sin under control. And that's letting sin reign. And we say things sometimes like, well, I don't do it as much as that person. And we say things like, I only do this on weekends. Or I only do it when that person makes me mad. Or if this person wouldn't do this, then I wouldn't sin. Or I'm not as bad as I used to be. Hey, sin is still reigning there because with those types of statements, we're not putting our sin to death, we're trying to tame it. And sin is not something to be tamed, it's something to be killed. Because that's part of putting our old self to death. And you do this not by trying harder, but by knowing who you are. And remember, that part of me is dead. I live for Jesus now. It's not always easy, but that's you know, the biblical way to think about it. Christianity is not, try harder, be a better person. That's not. It's Jesus has saved you, and because of that, then you can live a new life. But it says, don't let sin reign in your body. It don't even give it that little foothold to justify it, or to say, well, I'm better than I used to be. No, don't tame it. Kill it. It's not a little cat. It's a tiger. Secondly, we can present ourselves as righteous to God by not using our body to sin. Verse 13. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And this is, for me, has been a helpful verse lately. And to think about it as, it's saying don't use your body to sin. So think about how do you use your body to sin. Specific parts of your body, this can be very helpful. How do you use your ears to sin? Are you listening things that you shouldn't be listening to, like gossip? How do you use your eyes to sin? Are you looking at things you shouldn't be looking at, like porn or women or at things you're coveting? How do you use your mouth to sin? And what are you saying that you shouldn't be saying? Or even what am I eating that I shouldn't be eating? We forget about that as Americans sometimes, right? Hey, uh, how do you use your mouth to sin? How do you use your mind to sin? What am I thinking about that I shouldn't be thinking about? Who am I judging that I have no right judging? And what assumptions am I making that are based in sin? How do we use our hands to sin? And what am I doing that I shouldn't be doing? What am I touching that I shouldn't be touching. It can be very helpful to think of 
sin that way, as we're supposed to present ourselves not as members of unrighteousness, but of righteousness. So now, now we pray about it. Hey, how can I transform that? How can I redeem those things? How can I live in a new way? That's what my old body parts wanted to do in my new self. How can I redeem those for God's purposes? So your ears, how can you use your ears for God's purposes instead of for sin? Listen to Bible teaching. Listen to people talking about Jesus. Have conversations with people. Just hear what Jesus is doing in people's lives. How can you use your eyes as members of righteousness? Reading the Bible. You know, one thing I like to do is just look at the world. You know, it's beautiful. And that I connect with God in that way. So what, what can you be looking at that's going to present your eyes as members of righteousness, not unrighteousness? Your mouth. How can you use your mouth for God's kingdom instead of for sin? You can pray. You can build people up. You can encourage people. You can talk to people about Jesus. How can you use your mind for God's kingdom? Now you can pray with your mind. You can just think about God. I mean, that's an amazing thing to do. Just think about Him sometimes. And all He's done in your life and all He's done in the lives of the people you love and all that you want Him to do in the future and just think about Him. How can you use your hands as members of righteousness? How you can serve. You can help people. You can uh, advance God's kingdom. You can do things in the church body. There's a lot of things we can do with our hands so that we don't use them for sin, but so that we use them as members of righteousness. And number three, how do we present ourselves uh, to God as righteous? Remember that you have a relationship and new life with God, not just a list of things you have to do. And this is a big thing for me. So in verse 14, it says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Sin is not going to rule over you because your old self is dead and you're not under law. It's not a list of things to do. You're under grace. And that's God's unmerited, undeserved favor on your life. That you did nothing to deserve it, but God has that love for you anyway. That's what you're living under. You're not living under a set of rules you have to follow. And that's not how you put your sin to death is by following rules. Because you'll just follow the rules that are easy to follow. And you'll make up rules that make you feel more righteous than other people who aren't following your rules. Legalism legalism leads down that path where we make up our own things. And we've been talking about justification and sanctification. And there's a couple problems with where we conceptualize these in our brain. If we have our justification and our sanctification too close together, then we think we can sin. We can do whatever we want because it's forgiven anyway. So when we think there's only a wedding day but no marriage, then yeah, let's just sin. Do whatever we want because God's going to forgive it anyway. But sometimes we can put our sanctification and justification too far apart and not remember that there is a wedding day but thinking all there is is the marriage and it's just work and it's just stuff we have to do. That doesn't lead anywhere. It leads to pride, to thinking you're better than people because you follow the rules better or leads to despair, thinking that you're never going to be able to do it. And so we have a relationship with God, not a list of rules to follow, a list of things you have to do. And who you are determines what you do. That's living under grace. Because we live under grace. That determines what you do. So that's why Paul, when he tells us why we should not continue in sin as Christians, he doesn't say, do this and do this and do this. 
He says, remember who you are, because who you are determines what you do. But if you live under law, if you live under rules, what you do determines who you are. Hey, do I follow the rules good enough? Then God loves me. Hey, do I follow the traditions good enough? Then I have a new life. That's not how it is. That's not Christianity. Christianity is a relationship with Jesus, not a list of rules to follow. And if you're not a Christian, you're under the law. Hey, you probably don't think of it that way. I didn't think of it that way. But we have our own little rules we make up that tell us we're doing okay. That tell us, you know, I can call myself a good person. Because we say, I do these things, so now I'm a good person. Hey, but as Christians, we say, I've been saved by Jesus, so now I can live a new life. A couple quick things, though. Just what it means not to die, or what dying to sin is not. We've been talking about putting our sin to death because we have a new life. But a couple quick things about what that doesn't mean. First of all, it doesn't mean putting your ministry ahead of your family. That can be a tough thing, a thing I've struggled with, and probably everyone in ministry is... Dying to your old self doesn't mean you stop serving the people who loved your old self and only serve in your ministry. Because God is never going to ask you to break one commandment to keep another. And that's a big thing. And so if you're breaking your obligations to your family to serve in your ministry, God would never ask you to do that. That means you're doing something wrong there. There needs to be a balance. Dying to sin doesn't mean penance. This is an idea that you, yeah, Jesus paid for your sins, but not all the way. So when you sin, I gotta do, or when I sin, I gotta do something to fully pay for it. So dying to sin doesn't mean kicking yourself every time you sin. It doesn't mean figuring out some way that you can make yourself feel bad about what you've done. You've sinned, it's been forgiven, yeah, you turn from that, but you have new life. Hey, this idea of penance, it sounds very humble, like, oh, I need to feel really bad about what I did. But it's really pride. And it's saying, Jesus' payment wasn't enough, so I've got to pay a little more. This idea of penance is not dying to sin. Dying to sin is not rejecting God's blessings. Sometimes we think, oh, I can't have any fun as a Christian. I, it has to be very serious, and we have to always be doing these things. Yeah, that's not dying to sin. And... Dying to sin is not following rules that like we just talked about. Okay, trying harder, working better, that is not dying to sin. You're dying to sin is saying, my sin is dead, and I'm living in my new life because of Jesus. So in conclusion, okay, about this problem, why should we not continue in sin as Christians? The last thing salvation by grace should tell us is that we have a license to sin. If we've truly put that old self to death, if we're living in our new relationship, we should never want to take advantage of that. And going back to marriage, it's, it's like if you married a perfect spouse that you know was going to love you unconditionally, was never going to leave you, was always going to forgive you, was always going to provide all your emotional needs, always going to serve you humbly. If you had a spouse like that and then say, okay, cool, that means I can do whatever I want. If that's what it's like to think, I've been forgiven, now it's all covered, now I can do whatever I want. It's, you're not really living in that relationship. Like I said, you're putting that old self to death. You're not living in that way anymore. You're living in your new identity. You know, if you've given your life to Jesus, 
remember that that's part of it. You've put your old self to death. You've picked up your cross and you've died and you're putting on your new self. And so live out of that new self and struggle against the old one. If you're still fighting your old self, that's encouraging. Because the part where it's dangerous is when you quit fighting. When you say, you know what, that's just who I am, so I'm just going to do it. If you're struggling, that's a good sign. If you don't know Jesus or if you only know Him in name, if you think, because I believe in Jesus, now I can do whatever I want, your old self is still alive. And you can't change your old self. Your self is always going to be yourself. And your self is the problem. That's why you need a new self, not just a makeover, but a whole new identity. And we can only do that through Jesus. So, with our sanctification, growing more like Jesus, and this is the next few chapters in Romans, Paul is going to continue to elaborate on how we can put our sin to death and live more like Jesus. Um, And the amazing thing is, I've been saying Christianity is not just a wedding day, but a marriage. And it's also not that way from God's point of view. Again, God sees this as a relationship He wants to have with you. He wants to bless you. He wants you to grow. And He helps you. So He sends you the Holy Spirit. He sends His Son to pay the price for our sins because He wanted to. Because He wanted to have a relationship with us. Because we were the tree growing separately that was never going to connect with God. And so God sent His own Son to do that because He wanted to. He has a relationship with us because He wants it. Not because we want it. Our old self does not want a relationship with God. But God wants that. And then He helps us to put our sin to death. He gives us a new way to live, a new identity. And God doesn't want a relationship with you for a day. He doesn't want to say, wedding day, justification, it's over. He wants to have a relationship with you your whole life where you continue to grow in His love and become more and more like His Son, Jesus, until the day where we get to meet Him face to face. And let's pray. Father, thank you for not leaving us as, uh, as orphans, I think it says in the Bible. Not leaving us without you, but giving the Holy Spirit to live in us and through us and to help us grow closer to you. And Jesus, I pray that you would help us to live in our new self and put our old self to death to remember that we've been united with your death, but we've also been united with your resurrection. Our old self has died, but we have a new self, just like you resurrected. And Jesus, if there's anyone here, anyone listening, who doesn't have a new self, who doesn't know you, who hasn't put their old self to death, Holy Spirit, I pray you'd work in their hearts right now to remove that bark, the hard outer layer, the heart of stone, and turn it into a heart of flesh where your spirit can live and put our sin to death and so that we can present our bodies as instruments of righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You've been listening to a live teaching from the River Christian Fellowship, home of CSN. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you can catch the free podcast by searching the iTunes store for the River Christian Fellowship or give us a call at 800-357-4226. There's also a video of today's teaching available on our website, theriverchristianfellowship.com, and then click the media button. Don't forget to catch the evening service at 7 p.m. Mountain Time and tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship live on CSN.